You have the American dream. You own your own business. But owning a business turns out to be more than you thought. It's a pain in the neck. You're not getting where you want to go. You're not getting what you want to get. And you're working 97 hours a week. We're here to help you fix that. This is the Small Business Celebration Podcast. I am your host, Michael Roberts, and on this podcast, you can learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. Before we begin our interview with this week's successful small business visioneer, I want to take a moment and thank you, the listener, for helping Small Business Celebration reach a significant milestone. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, you're about to hear an example of why. 1,500 plus small business owners connect with Small Business Celebration on a weekly basis. When you consider Kern County has just over 10,000 small businesses, 1,500 plus weekly connections is significant. We thank the tremendous content that our Visioneer guests continue to provide to this podcast and you, Visioneer Nation, who have subscribed to this podcast, internalized our guests' valuable insight, and because of it are growing a strong and profitable business. And we thank you. Now, for those of you who have been longtime listeners to the podcast, you'll know that we have a quarterly tradition here with Keith Stoller and Tax and Business Solutions where we are answering your tax questions. And welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks for having me. Like I said, we've got several people who have asked questions, and we do this through social media for our new listeners. And we do it through LinkedIn, through Facebook, Instagram. And I put out a video and say, we're looking for questions for Keith to answer for us. And before we get into the questions a little bit, let's talk about what Tax and Business Solutions does and why you're different than a bookkeeper. Okay. Um, Well, Keith Stoller, Tax and Business Solutions... My primary focus is on tax. I I can do bookkeeping. I do do bookkeeping. But uh, my primary focus is dealing particularly with small businesses and individuals with more complex situations and how they can maximize, how they can how, how they can plan their taxes out to be able to leverage whatever their situation is and make more intelligent decisions going forward. And spe- if they're going to be spending money anyway, one of my mantras is if you're going to spend money anyway, why not spend it in the most tax-efficient manner? Excellent. And you are not a CPA, correct? I'm an enrolled agent. So and what's the difference? My... My right to practice comes from directly from the U.S. Treasury, and it's monitored by the Internal Revenue Service. So I can actually hang out a shingle in any state in the union. Um, and um, this allows me specifically to represent people in front of the IRS and also from a practical perspective uh, at all the state levels because the states generally recognize this credential as well. Um, I don't have to be licensed in any one particular state because the credential allows me to practice nationwide and overseas if I if I need to, but it's specific to United States taxes. And this is very key because you have the opportunity with Keith Stoller to build a business, grow a business, and if it crosses state lines... Keith can help you. So you can help you with your California taxes, your federal taxes, as well as any other state that you go into. So you're not limited to to just California. And with that, let's get into some of the questions that some of our listeners have asked. We're going to start off with one from Mark who asks, 
As a sole proprietor, and he's changing to a corporation, how does he deal with that change? Okay. Specific to that, um, it's actually very easy to change from a sole proprietorship to a corporation. It's just that you have to register with the state Mm. that you're in, specifically California in our case. Um, Each state has its own process, and each state has its own uh, set of forms that you have to use. Um, you're going to be doing business primarily in the state, then you're going to generally register as a domestic corporation in the state of California. Um, One of the key things to keep in mind about that, however, is that once you create this entity, it is its own separate individual. It's not a natural person, but it's still a person. And in order to be able to properly maintain that, you have to run it a lot more stringently and have a lot more stringent administrative controls on the corporation or entity than you would as a sole proprietor. As a sole proprietor, we can wing it. We can. We have a lot of wiggle room on how we present things, uh, more so than with a corporation, for example. Um, one of the key things is keeping minutes. Every time you make a decision, now you've got to make sure you document the who, the what, the where, the why, and what's the business purpose. Uh, because if you don't write it down and say you get sued later, then all of a sudden you're dealing with questions about you didn't write it down, so guess what? It didn't happen. And then they start. you start getting into issues of if there's a liability protection issue that, oh, well, you didn't make – you didn't you didn't uh, make a minute for this um this can create a problem for you legally as well as the fact that if you're say entering into a lease agreement Mm -hmm. through your entity then you need to make a a resolution a board resolution even if you're a board of one you still need to write it down and if you don't do that then the irs if they audit you one of the first things they're going to look at is your book of minutes and corporate resolutions and if it's not there then they're going to say well maybe this was personal Right. And then they may it may put them in a position where they may attribute the income to you as an individual, and it might be income to you rather than a business expense. Oh my! Now we have a problem. Right. So, and what this sounds like to me is that if you're going from a sole proprietor to a corporation, if you don't have an accountant, you should probably get one. Absolutely. And if you already have an accountant as a sole proprietor, and you go into a corporation and need to change your accountant, what are some of the things that that the business owner should look for? Well, as far as looking for some somebody who perhaps specializes in their in their particular field. Say mm-hmm. for example, some people specialize in dentists, some people specialize in doctors, some people specialize in uh, retail, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're small, then you might be fine with someone who's more holistic, more of a generalist because you're just trying to get off of the get everything moved it to the into this new level and into this new form and a generalist might very well be able to carry you to a certain level but then as your business gets a little bit to the stage where it needs to be more refined about how you operate and maybe you want to niche more hmm. then it, you might have to start looking again for yet another accountant who may specialize in that because then they can you're in a position where you can start leveraging higher level advice hmm more refined advice. So I wouldn't say that necessarily I'm the magic bullet for every company, right? but I'm more of a person who can segue you into that. And then 
I generally know when it's time for me to step out. And then I, I, tend, to, I tend to coach people on, okay, here's a list of several people you might want to talk to and get a feel for it. Uh, because not every exit, when you change accounts, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes you outgrow. Right. And that's a good thing. That's what you want. Exactly. And actually, if you're, if you're outgrowing, if you're exceeding, say, your parents, for example, and your accomplishments, that, may, that generally gives a parent pride that right. my, my, my kid did better than me. I'm, what more can I ask for? And it's the same thing for accountants. Yeah, we missed the business. Yeah, we're going to miss having you around all the time. But you're, you're, you're getting out of the nest and you're flying. So it's a happy thing. You know, at least if you have a healthy view of the situation. <laughs> Some people say, oh, my God, how am I going to make this meet? Well, you know what? We survive. <laughs> Somehow, some way. Somehow, some way. At Claro Tire Company, we know that you want to be safe and secure riding on tires from a family who cares about your family as much as we care for our own. In order to do that, you need quality tires from a family you trust. The problem is, is that there are a hundred different national tire stores in town, and their buying process is a chore, and they treat you like a faceless number. We believe that you and your family are an extension of our family. We understand the noise you feel with the hundreds of faceless different tire companies that treat you like a faceless number. And that is why we at Claro Tire Company have one of the largest repeat customer bases in Kern County for the last 77 years. Here's how we do it. When you come into Claro Tire, you're not just a number, you become family. We select the specific tire that's the safest for your family, your car, and your budget. We install your tires and give you an unconditional guarantee on your tires. Join the Claro Tire Company family at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield, California, or call us at 661-324-6069 or find us on our website at clarotire.com. That's C-L-E-R-O-U tire.com. Stop the feeling of faceless confusion from 100 different national tire stores. Join the family with the Claro Tire Company family. You'll be glad you did. Claro Tire Company, 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield, California. Or call us at 661-324-6069 or find us on our website at clarotire.com. That's C-L-E-R-O-U tire.com. I'm here with Keith Stoller with uh, Tax and Business Solutions, and we're talking about taxes uh, that we do every quarter. And I'd like to shift and focus on the state of California and some of the taxes. And we had a question that came in from Mike, uh, excuse me, from Adela, is does the state of California fine you for every month you don't file your taxes? Okay. They do... Um, there, there's a, there are several parts to this answer, so it's not necessarily a quick and dirty answer, but I'm going to simplify it as much as I can. Um, if you're a partnership or an LLC, whether you're one or more members, mm-hmm. uh, there is California specifically um, charges $18 per partner per month, uh, partner or member, um, for each month or a fraction of a month up to 12 months as, wow. a, as a penalty. Now, um, if you have five partners, then that can add up pretty darn quick. Right. Um, there's also if um, 
there's several other things you need to uh, be concerned with because if the state makes a demand for you to file within 60 days and you don't, they can actually tack on a $2,000 uh, penalty for failing to file on a demand. And this is specific wow. not to individuals. This is specific to entities. So the state makes its money, you know. I, <laughs> um, and that could be very problematic. Um, and that's, that, that applies specifically to, say, non-qualified or suspended or forfeited uh, partnerships or LLCs. Um, so they really do, they, they basically want to put you out of business, especially if you're just there on paper or you, you haven't really been complying with a lot of different things. Uh, the big problem, the, the even larger problem, is the IRS. Mm. Because with, if it's essentially anybody who gets a K-1 as an individual, each, for each person who's supposed to get a K-1 from that entity, the fine is now $195 per partner per month or fraction thereof. Wow. Yeah. So that works out to $2,340 per partner um, <laughs> for in, in a course of a year. Wow. So if you have five or ten partners, you've got a problem. And that's just in fines. The good thing here, and I can't speak for California because if California is fining you, they basically want their money, and it's very hard to get them to waive anything. Mm. Um, so it's a battle. Sometimes you can get it done. Uh, with the IRS, it's a little bit more of a well-structured process. Right. If you've been filing on time uh, or within parameters, then you will be in a position where you can um, go ahead and um, ask for a one-time abatement or a first-time abatement, as long as you've done, as long as you've been filing on time for the last three years, and something happened. It could have been something catastrophic. It could have just been, oh, I got depressed and I didn't want to do it because I was overwhelmed with my business. It could be anything. Um, you can do this essentially once every three to four years in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, although I've been hearing some rumors that, oh, if you ever did it before, they will not allow it again. Wow. So you got one shot. So essentially, depending on who you're talking to at the IRS, <laughs> you have one shot. Uh, so if somebody says no, then you might, oh, I just drop the call and pick up and get somebody else and get somebody who's willing to work with you in practice. It's, and it, it's not supposed to work that way. But right. in reality, you do what you got to do. Um, now, if you have never filed before, I, I ran into this with one client. They had originally been filing as a Schedule C, or the individual had, this couple. And, but what they failed to mention to anybody was that, oh, no, but we're running this through our LLC. We're in, I'm an individual member. And I'm like, wait, well, you never... You never said anything to anybody about that, did you? And it's like, oh, no. Wow. (laughs) And so it had been filed consistently on the Schedule C for three, four years. And then we had to do an amended return to make it consistent. And then the IRS sent back a letter and said, okay, well, they they tacked on probably about a total of $5,000 in penalties. And so one phone call, and we got that all gone. We told them exactly what the situation was. It's the first time. Everything was actually claimed and declared. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they did report their income. It would have worked out mathematically the same in a net, you know, so they would have netted no change in their taxes. It's just 
checking a box saying LLC and filling out some state forms. Right, right. And with that call, they said, okay, yeah, you made a mistake. Now I know. Now you know what you did wrong. It's not going to happen again. We're filing consistently with what the, the reality of the situation is. The client's protected, and we're waiving the penalty. So there's... When that goes back, I think, to that new change in entity, whether it's a corporation or a single-member or multi-member LLC, it's best to be in communication with your tax practitioner, whoever that is, sure. and, and just give them all the data, all the information. Uh, when it's up front. So it's a kind of a long-winded answer to that question, I think. <laughs> but there you have it. As a small business owner, you are a visioneer, a pioneer with vision. But sometimes it's hard to see the forest through the trees. You know where you want to go. You know what you want to do and have. But you need a confidential second set of eyes to help you get there. Small Business Celebration can be those eyes. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule a listening session. See the forest through the trees. Realize your vision. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule a listening session today. I'm here with Keith Stoller here in Tax and Business Solutions. And the next question actually comes from Marty. And he asks, uh, what changes in the past few years has the California tax code changed that has affected small businesses? Um, to California has really not been such a big monster in the closet, I would say, uh, from the changes in the tax code as the federal has been. So everybody's been so worried about the, the federal uh-huh. that I think we've probably gotten away from, from digging into the state. Um, yes, the state has added on a few more little bells and whistles onto their as far as layers of little excise taxes and taxes they can make. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, what it's really been coming down to for, for a business owner standpoint, especially if you uh, deal with sales tax issues, is just the fact that enforcement. The, the state did break, did essentially redefine the Franchise Tax Board into three different sub-entities now. Mm-hmm. So you have the the Income Tax Authority, you have the Board of Equalization, uh, which is now called something else, and then you have this other little branch over here. Um, so there are administrative changes, and that's, I mean, that's really a paperwork issue. Mm. Uh, but as far as taxes, it's really the enforcement that they really tend to be a lot more aggressive mm. nowadays. Um, and then the fact that from my personal experience, and I don't think that the state would like like anybody to say this, but I, from my perspective, it seems like customer service for the average individual on the street has gone down. Mm. If they have a tax problem, it's it's hard to get a person or one person who has authority to do much of anything. Wow. So if you've got a problem, don't call us, we'll call you, and we're going to hold you liable for it. In the meantime, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get on a payment plan, and then maybe we'll deal with you when we get around to it and feel like it. Wow. Um, and, that, and, again, it's a lot easier to deal with the feds as far as making agreements and um, wheeling and dealing with the tax situation and getting penalties abated than it is with the state, simply for the fact that the state doesn't have a printing press for money like the feds do. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And as a side note on that, from your perspective, how has the $10,000 deduction that state's been limited to uh, from the federal IRS changed the way things are for small businesses? Um, 
Well, for businesses, and especially for people with rentals and things like that, that's not so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, in, it's it's the $10,000, they call it the SALT tax, uh, right. which or the, it's basically state and local income tax limitation, um, is now $10,000 where it used to be unlimited. Before it was, it made up your state, personal state withholdings. Right. It made up your, uh, potentially your sales tax that you would have paid based on your income. Uh, additional major purchases that you might have made. So you got that Lamborghini in the garage, okay. Um, And then, of course, your property taxes, which has been a big thing for many people. Um, And so especially California, other high-tax states, um, say New Jersey, New York, um, a lot on the East Coast, really, uh, this has been a major problem. It's hurt. There's a lot of people who were doing uh regular uh were normally filing on itemized deductions they didn't have that anymore so that limitation in addition to okay they've raised the standard deduction for the individuals and that's great but one thing they took away was your deductions per individual individual exemptions so um one spouse is worth Four thousand fifty dollars. Another, the set, the other spouse is worth another, and then the kids are all worth four thousand and fifty dollars. Now, if you're a small family, that's not so bad. But if you've got three, four, five, six kids, you actually tend to. I tend to see clients that are in a worse position. Wow. Um, and so, the salt tax on top of that, um, people tend to. I've, I've seen a fair number of mid-income people really hurt by it. Um, it's the people on the lower income, no problem. People on the upper income level that say may have a more comp, may, may own several businesses. Uh, they have a lot more wiggle room. They have a lot more areas that, that we can do, say, strategic tax planning and uh-huh. structuring things in such a way where we can make up the difference in another area. Um, but for the middle class, middle income, they're the ones being hit the hardest. Yeah, usually around the seventy to about the mid two hundred thousand dollar range is really the people who end up getting slammed the hardest. Wow. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the question that Mike asked was, if you want to move your corporation to another state, what do you have to do to prove to the state of California that you moved your corporation to another state while still doing business in California? Okay. If you, the problem, the real the real sticking point is you're still doing business in California. Right. And so, let's say that you wanted to change the domicile of your corporation to out of state. Mm-hmm. Okay. California will work with you on that. But the problem is that if you're doing any significant business in California, they're going to want you to register as a foreign business entity. Hmm. So the reality of the situation is that you've still got to pay the, the franchise tax. You're essentially doing – probably spending a lot of money to expatriate the corporation just so you have to re-register in California and not only pay, say, the Nevada tax, the, the, the Nevada registration fees, but you've still got to pay $800 minimum per year to California just to have a foreign corporation. If you're going to Nevada, that's fine. You might as well keep the – the uh, California, the California-based entity, mm-hmm. and either open up a separate entity over there, or you register as a foreign entity in the other state. Whether it's I use Nevada because it's just it's a common reference. Sure, um, but it could be any other state, and um, you can register over there. And if you tend to run the lion's share of your business over there, maybe there's 
a point where maybe it makes sense to change the entity's domicile, but it's just an academic change. It's not going to save you anything by by registering out of state. And I understand that we were talking earlier that the state of California is, is very stronger on enforcement now, and and the state of California is very much insisting on proving the that you do live in California or that you do live somewhere else. And, and how is that... How is it? What's to what extent is the state doing? We're getting more to the personal side, and that's fine. Uh, because in reality, if you're a small business, you're probably the one that's doing a lot of the work. You're chief right. cook and bottle washer. You're wearing a lot of hats at the very least. Um, so if you're doing your primary business out of state, uh, where is your body at most of the time? Uh, where are your loved ones? Where is your family pet? Right. Um, where are your personal? personal affects, you know, what, you, the things that are near and dear to an individual, your family pictures, where is your banking centered out of? Um, the other thing is, where are your vehicles registered? Where are your, um, do, you have, do you own any property in the state? Um, I've, just to go on a sidebar real quick, um, on the personal level, I've run into clients who've, ex, who've left the state, um, and then they just failed to let the California Department of Motor Vehicles know. Mm. And the California DMV didn't get their new address or anything. They just kept mailing um, notices. And when people didn't re-up their, li- their registrations, they didn't file for a non-op either. Then California charged them late fees and penalties. And then after a few years, then they get their, their state or federal tax refund dinged. In their new in their other in the new state, and they're saying, "Well, where did this come from?" And we go back, and it's California withheld it for the DMV and for for a car they didn't even have here and wasn't even registered here. Wow! So you've got to actually check your cars out. There's there's paperwork. So before you leave California, get your you know check with the triple go to AAA, get your car registrations updated, and that this is where I'm moving, yada yada, so that you don't run afoul of that because you'll get a rude shock and you'll you'll be very very <laughs> angry at California after the, <laughs> even after you left. Um, but it's it's the little things about. Where where are you, and where do you physically spend most of your time? Mm. Um, do you uh, if you spend 183 days in California, you spend the rest in Nevada, for example. That's fine. But let's say you split your time between multiple states or overseas. Right. Then you start getting into other issues. Okay, maybe you spent 183 days in California. Your home is in Nevada, but you were only in Nevada 120 days because you were out in other states or traveling. The remainder, hmm. then you start getting into little little areas where you might be compromised. You see what I mean, right? Yeah. So it's this can get really complicated, it and that's can. what and that's why they need to have a and, good accountant and somebody like you. Yeah, and they, and they need to listen to the individual <laughs> 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 because you can give all the good advice you want, and if people aren't going to follow it, then you know, right? And speaking of advice is, uh, you know, we have just come out of the major tax season. You've had a little bit of time to reflect back. What's one or two things that has popped up over the last tax season that uh, has been of note to you that, is, that small business owners need to pay attention to or, or watch out for for the next tax season? Okay. Um, 
this last tax season has been a learning experience for everybody. Mm. Um, the last, the previous year, I really spent the bulk of my continuing education dollars on just dealing with the the potential changes that were going on with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, mm. on the federal level, um, and so from what you knew when everything was in flux last year and absent any IRS guidance at the time, we were all trying to educate people as best as we could based on what was presented at face value. Um, And then the implementation, the final regulations only came out in February, as it turned out, the final guidance, Um, how that act. We were actually pretty close, but there were a few changes about how we handled the the 199A. That's that 20% deduction for pass-through entities, mm-hmm. people who have pass-through entities or rentals, and what qualifies for that, and what, what is a um, specified business activity that may not qualify for that under certain circumstances. Um, so that was one concern. Now that we know have a fair sense of what the reality is on that going forward i think it's just educating clients it is trying to just stay abreast of this and then trying to update tax strategies tax saving strategies that if you're going to spend the dollar can we do it in a more tax efficient manner i mean yeah the kids still have to go to school but now all of a sudden for individuals um whether you're a business owner or not it applies um you have the 529 plans. You can actually pay for elementary school on through college with hmm. those. Hmm. So they've just become a lot more useful. Hmm. Uh, and if you have a disabled child, it that may not college may not be in their future. For example, sure. um, you can still use the 529 plan. Mm-hmm. And then if you have other monies, then or if once if you're not utilizing those monies for college you can roll it into what's called an able plan for mm-hmm. example which is specific to children with or adult children with disabilities uh so that uh they can still utilize those funds to care for their needs as a disabled individual in society and of course with disabilities it runs the gamut sure sure um but they're definitely going to have different needs than than the way society structures everything for what the quote-unquote normal person, the, the fully physically or mentally able individual. Give us one quick tip or thought for our small business owners as we wrap it up here that that you have recognized that it's the same mistake that keeps getting repeated over and over and over again this last tax season. Yeah, I don't want to necessarily turn it into a gripe session. It's just not... not not listening to the advice from the previous year and acting on it because it's very easy to say, okay, I made, you know, I made note of it and then procrastinating and we're all guilty of it. I am too. I know. (laughs) So I'm holding up a mirror while I'm saying this as well as talking into the microphone. Um, And it just never gets done because there's always something else to do. Uh, But when it comes down to the reality hitting then the following year, once you're sitting down and really doing your taxes or as you get down to the final months and there's not much time to make those changes and perhaps all your money spent for the year and you don't have any discretionary money left in order to restructure things. Uh, it really behooves an individual to act early on suggestions. Excellent. So small business owners, visioneers, listen to your tax professional. 
Well, Keith, this has been a wonderful interview, and uh, we'll be seeing you again, or listening to you again, I should say, in another in the next quarter. And for those that want to get a hold of you and get in touch with you, how do they do that? Um, well, I have several several mechanisms. Uh, we have uh, um which is my website, and we also have um, my 800 number. It's 844-GO-KS-TAX. That's 465-792, or I'm sorry, 7829. Um, And then as far as email, it's stolerpr at gmail.com, and those emails go directly to me. Very good. Well, Keith, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and your insight with our fellow visioneers on the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we thank you. Thank you. I've been asked, who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business owner who's a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Become a visioneer by joining the Tribe on Small Business Celebrations Facebook page and on Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you may find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. And that's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. If there is a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I am your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.